I don't remember exactly the very first time that I heard uh, the Christmas story, that magnificent, beautiful story of God coming to live with us in the person of Jesus. I do remember our family's tradition of every Christmas Eve all sitting together on the sofa and my father reading uh, the Christmas story from, from Luke. We would turn off all of the lights except for the lights on our Christmas tree and a few candles. Um, often there would be a fire in the fireplace. There would be the lingering smell of, of pumpkin bread or shortbread or gingerbread cookies, whatever we happened to be baking for neighbors that year. And my father would begin... In those days it came to pass, when we got old enough to read, my brother and I would take turns reading uh, the story of the birth of Christ, a story, a story now being passed across generations. Now if you come to our house on Christmas Eve, you'll see us sitting on the sofa, Lauren and I reading the same story to our boys. The stories, the scriptures, and all the accompanying traditions of the Christmas season have been passed down to us from generation to generation, all like threads woven together in God's tapestry of salvation. The Christmas story, the story of God coming to live with us, has this way of weaving us in, reminding us of how God has shown up faithfully in the past, how God shows up now, and how God promises to come one day in glory, from generation to generation, this story, in all of its complexity and its beauty, generates in us hope and peace and joy and love. We pass it on because without fail, it continues to change us. This year, our Advent series is called From Generation to Generation. Each week we will look at different parts of this story as it has been passed down, looking at different characters and narratives that are together woven in ways that lead to Jesus. We'll look at how this story brings us into with all, uh, with, with the hope that no matter where we find ourselves this year with our own complex stories and emotions and traditions and memories, we will find our place in the story of God's inbreaking love. Today we begin with the truth that from generation to generation, there's room for every story. Let us pray. God, open our hearts and minds to your word for us this day. We pray that it would take root there, that it would grow us and transform us, that we might live for you and bear fruit for your kingdom. This we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our, our grounding scripture throughout this series um, comes from the Gospel of Luke, and then we'll have different scriptures each week after that. So first from the Gospel of Luke, from Mary's uh, great hymn of, of praise and, and justice, um, verse 48b through 50. He has looked with favor on the low status of his servant. Look, from now on, everyone will consider me highly favored, because the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. He shows mercy to everyone from one generation to the next who honors him as God. And then from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. A record of the ancestors of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. 
Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Aram. Aram was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David the king. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the father of Abijah. Abijah was the father of Asaph. Asaph was the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was the father of Joram. Joram was the father of Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jotham. Jotham was the father of Ahaz. Ahaz was the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh. Manasseh was the father of Amos. Amos was the father of Josiah. Josiah was the father of Jeconiah and his brothers. This was at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the father of Abiud. Abiud was the father of Eliakim. Eliakim was the father of Azor. Azor was the father of Zadok. Zadok was the father of Achim. Achim was the father of Eliud. Eliud was the father of Eleazar. Eleazar was the father of Mathen. Mathen was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. So there were 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 generations from the exile to Babylon to the Christ. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, a lot of people get rather puzzled when they pick up a Bible, decide to start reading at the beginning of the New Testament, flip to Matthew 1, and find not some dramatic curtain-pulled-back opening scene, but a list of names they have never heard of. You know, like Zerubbabel. Sounds like (laughs) Zerubbabel. Bless you. But this is how... Matthew begins. Matthew intentionally begins the story of Jesus with a genealogy. And in so doing shows that the story of Jesus doesn't actually begin with his chapter 1, but with characters and narratives that came generations before. Matthew wants to root Jesus firmly in the story of Israel. Jesus doesn't just somehow haphazardly wander onto the scene in Palestine. There are stories, there are threads, there are pathways that lead to and culminate in his birth. After all, that's what genealogies do, right? That's what family trees and all the work done into seeing where we come from does, right? It helps to root us in a larger story. It gives us a sense of of where we come from, right? And, And what and who makes us who we are. It's so important to people that it's given birth to an entire industry, right? Ancestry.com, 123, and me are just two examples of companies that are helping people to discover their heritage, the story of their family, where they come from. Listen to this from Ancestry.com, what they have on their website. Your ancestors are more than a name. A deeper understanding of your heritage and family history sheds light on who you are and can strengthen your identity and sense of belonging. That's a pretty strong sell. This was especially true in the ancient world. For Hebrews, genealogy gave legitimacy to political and priestly 
persons. Who you were was tied to the story of the people that you came from. So beginning with Abraham, Matthew presents Jesus through his lineage as king of the Jews, son of David, son of Abraham. There are 42 names organized in three sets of 14. 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David to the Babylonian exile, and 14 generations from the Babylonian exile to, to Jesus. This complex genealogy includes all kinds of people. Each name listed isn't just a name. Each name is a person, and each person has a story. From generation to generation, there's room for every story because every kind of story is present in the lead-up to Jesus. There's some names in there that are, are more obvious, right? Abraham and David are the big ones. What does it mean that Jesus is connected to Abraham? Well, God called Abraham and made a covenant promise to him that through his family, all the world, all the nations would be blessed. The coming of Jesus is the, the consummation, the summation of that big promise made. What does it mean that Jesus is connected to King David? David was Israel's favorite king, one God chose as one after God's own heart, the one God promised his, whose descendants would always have someone reigning over Israel. Jesus is the true Messiah, the true king that David only foreshadowed. And Abraham was messy. He had trust issues with God. And David was messy. He committed adultery and murder. But somehow, someway, God uses their stories to propel the story forward of God's salvation to Jesus. But there are lots of other names in this genealogy, too. Other persons, other stories, some obscure like Zerubbabel, whose name I made fun of earlier, uh, but whose name means offspring of Babylon. As governor of Judah, Zerubbabel was appointed as one of the initial leaders to help Israel and, and supervise the, the reconstruction of the Jerusalem temple that had been destroyed when, when a discouraged and despondent people returned from exile. But now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord. Be strong, you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you. So the Jewish people began to see Zerubbabel as their great hope for restoration, for restoring the, the Davidic kingship, for liberation from their enemies. There's a place for his story, pointing to the one who will ultimately free from exile, the sin and death. A thread woven in leading to Jesus. Some names and stories are deeply problematic, like Manasseh. Uh, described in the Bible as being one of the worst kings in Israel's already troubled history. His story's in 2 Kings, and it goes pretty much like this. He did what was evil in the Lord's eyes. He set up altars for Baal. He bowed down and worshipped the stars and built altars to them in God's temple. He burned his own son alive. He caused Judah to sin. He spilled so much innocent blood that, quote, he filled up every corner of Jerusalem with it. Psst, Matthew may not want to include him in Jesus' genealogy. And yet somehow his story is a part of Jesus' story, a thread woven in leading to Jesus. And then there are the women, remarkable, intentional additions by Matthew, all of them outsiders in one way or another, more names with complex and messy stories. 
There's Tamar, Judah's daughter-in-law, who tricks Judah into impregnating her so that she's not cast aside as a widow. Without her, there is no continuation of the tribe of Judah from which comes David and ultimately Jesus. There's Rahab, a non-Israelite prostitute who helped Israel spies from inside the wall of Jericho and lowered them to safety with a red cord. Without Rahab, Israel would have never been successful in entering the promised land. There's Ruth, once again, a non-Israelite, a Gentile who is unshakably loyal to her mother-in-law, Naomi, journeying back with her to the land of Israel and eventually taking initiative and marrying the Israelite Boaz. She was King David's great-great-grandmother. Then there's the wife of Uriah. We know her name, even though it's not mentioned. Bathsheba. She withstands abuse from King David, survives the murder of her husband, and ensures that her son Solomon takes the throne. Their stories matter. All in unique ways. Threads woven in leading to Jesus. So it's pretty clear, friends, that this is anything but just a boring list of begats. This, there, is a, there is a vastness, there is a messiness, a beauty to all the names and all the stories represented here. Stories of, of triumph and trauma, hardship and healing, beauty and brokenness. Untidy stories just like ours. All of it leads to Jesus and his story. God weaves it all together in the narrative of salvation, all pathways that pave the way for this miraculous arrival of God in the world. Jesus not only came into a world broken and hurting and messy, but broken and hurting and messy was right there in his own family tree. But God writes it all together. Gentiles being welcomed, sinners being changed, transgression leading to transformation, fear leading to courage. As New Testament scholar Andrew Keck so beautifully points out, the weakness in the family tree forms strong branches upon which God brings forth the fruit of incarnation. From generation to generation leading to Jesus, there is room for every story and nothing has changed since his coming. Which means, friends, that there is room for your story. All of us have a story. All of us have a history. All of us, like Jesus, have generations of names and stories that lead us to where we are and to who we are today. Your story, my story, is full of triumph and trauma, hardship and healing, beauty and brokenness, and they all matter. Your story matters to God. And in the coming of Jesus, in his birth, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, God takes our stories and weaves them into the story of God's salvation. Mess and all, beauty and all, complexity and all. You belong. We have something even better than Ancestry.com to help us discover our place and to strengthen our sense of belonging. You can trace your story to Jesus Christ. You are sacredly located in God's story. We may look at our story and say, but God, what about my annoying habit of leaving peanut butter on the spoon and putting it in the sink? 
What, what about the fact that I can be some, become so task-focused that I, that I neglect my own emotions and relationships? What about my impatience? What about when I lose it with my kids? What about getting lost in my mind and not being present with my wife? What about how easily I neglect prayer when I get busy? What about the fact that my, my ancestors enslaved people? What about the, the, the ways that I've run from your call? What about your whatabouts? In the coming of Christ, God reminds me there's room for my story. There's room for yours too. Jesus' story is inclusive. And that's not just a nice modern buzzword. It's the very theme of Jesus' story. It's the theme of his genealogy. So for the single mother who got pregnant as a teenager and then was left alone with a child to care for, having to hustle to make ends meet, wondering if anyone cares about her, there's room for her story. For the black woman whose ancestors were brought here as slaves who doesn't have a genealogical record of her great-grandmother or a marked grave to visit, whose people have been marginalized in the American story and nevertheless has started her own small business, there's room for her story. For the man convicted of a felony just coming out of prison, wondering if there's a chance for a second chance, carrying bags of guilt and telling himself that this is just what happens to people in his family, there's room for his story. For the immigrant refugee trying desperately to leave the past behind to write a new chapter but not wanting to lose all of their culture, there's room for their story. For the LGBTQ young person who just came out and is scared to death about how they'll be received by their parents, by their church, wondering if God loves them, wondering if they belong anywhere, there's room for their story. For the girl who grew up going to church and now has drifted away because some things seem so hard to believe now, and in the midst of her doubts, she's asking questions and hoping to rekindle the fire that she once had for Jesus, there's room for her story. For the teenager abandoned as a child in and out of foster care, now finally adopted and wondering if he'll ever have true family roots or if his life is just destined for more abandonment. There's room for his story. There's room for your story. There's room for every story. Because as Matthew tells it, the story of Jesus' birth isn't just the story of Mary and Joseph and Magi. Shepherds, it's the story of Abraham and David and Zerubbabel and Manasseh and Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba. Stories of triumph and trauma, hardship and healing, beauty and brokenness from generation to generation. And it's our story too. God, weaving it all together into a great tapestry of God's salvation. Knowing that there's room for your story, what will that generate in you this Advent season? What will you beautifully add to the tapestry of God's salvation? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.